As we continue stepping into this new year, we are starting a short sermon series called Holy Rhythms. This is a season of life where a lot of times people think of new resolutions, new ways of beings, priorities, all the rest. And, and, and what I invite us to think of, and that may or may not work for you, but what I invite us to think of regardless is about holy rhythms, the kind of rhythms that anchor the life of faith in season and out, se- out of season, January, December, all the ones in the middle, holy rhythms. And so this will take us through mid-February, right up against Lent. And today we get something of the fundamental downbeat of the life of faith, this anchoring beat. We, we, never, we never get away from that, sort of anchors the whole thing. We always come back to I'm looking forward to leaning into this this fundamental downbeat by way of Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, I was uh, helping lead a vacation Bible school, and I was teaching some of the young children about the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe some of you remember this, right? The, the younger son goes to his father and asks for his inheritance, and, and this is a deeply insulting request, but the father grants it. The younger son runs off to a faraway land and wastes all the money on terrible living, and eventually, right, the son runs out of money. There's a famine in the land, and now this young son is starving. And he's ashamed. And he decides he'll try to go back home to the father. Maybe the father will have him as a servant or something. At least then he can eat. So I want the kids to act this scene out. And I I break them in two, two parallel lines. And I tell this side, okay, you all are the younger sons and daughters. You've you've really made some bad decisions. And and you're going to, in a moment, act out trying to just turn back home with your head hung low. I tell this side, I say, all right, you all are the father in this story, and as soon as they start to, to kind of turn, you're going to run, because you, the father runs and gives that son a hug. But I, I, I said to them, or my original plan was to say to them, now look, I know this is vacation Bible school, some of you only met yesterday, a hug might be a bit much, you can just sort of do an arm thing, a little fist bump, or, I never got to those words. Because as soon as I told all of the fathers that their job was to hug the younger sons, they were so amped up about this idea. I said, okay, all right. Younger sons, you're up. You've made some terrible decisions, and, and you're just hang your head, start to turn. And as soon as they started that turn, those fathers come racing across the fellowship hall. Boom! Smithereens, just hugging the heck out of all the younger sons and daughters. Eventually, uh, I am trying to get the, the story to move on because there's a lot more to that story. 
It's really good. <laughs> but I can't seem to separate them from these very content, swinging, joyful embraces. Why did these kids readily light up at the idea of a huge hug? What is it about the human embrace that, that can be so powerful? And isn't it something that the very first words out of Jesus' mouth in the entire Gospel of Matthew, the very first words have to do about insisting upon his own baptism, insisting upon the divine embrace of grace. Scholars will tell you that the Gospel of Matthew is written in, in the form of an ancient biography with Jesus as the protagonist. This genre of ancient biography, the first words that a protagonist speaks are critical. They are tone-setting. They are setting the priority, the focus, the story. And so you recall, the story begins with John the Baptist saying, I need to be baptized, not you. And then Jesus, here they are. He speaks the first words in the Gospel of Matthew from his mouth, tone-setting. Let it be so now. Let this baptism happen to me now. Before Jesus calls disciples, before the famous Sermon on the Mount, before any of the healings or the miracles or the confronting of the hypocrites or the feeding of the thousands or addressing the myriad of problems in the world, Jesus is insistent that he's not just going to get on with the story, but that first he know the gift of God's abundant favor and love. The gift of baptism as of first importance. Why? Well, he does explain it is proper for us to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. That may be a confusing statement, but know that in the Gospel of Matthew, that word righteousness refers to the will of God. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, let this baptism happen so that I can fulfill the will of God. I can do the will of God. Let this baptism happen so that I can live in the, in the way God truly desires. And then, of course, if you walk through the Gospel of Matthew before, Jesus makes clear what the will of God looks like. Things like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Forgive one another. Do not store up your treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. Do not worry. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just a few right there. Some hard things, some courageous things, things we know we need more of in this world, things we know we need more of in our own lives. These are some of the things that comprise the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says to do these things, he doesn't need an extra measure of willpower, an extra dose of, of resolve for the resolution, even an extra class on how to do this right. Of all the things in the world, he claims that what he needs to do, the will and way of God is baptism. And goodness, when Jesus is baptized in the story, it's abundant. Did you hear? 
The heavens open into this wide, generous favor. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, the very presence and life of God falling upon Jesus. And then, and then God speaks that wonderful word of favor. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The heavens, a dove, a voice, it is a threefold showering of grace. It's a running hug. And it is the central priority as Jesus steps into ministry, the downbeat that anchors all the work to come. As we step into this new year, how might we be anchored or re-anchored in that fundamental downbeat, fueled by such grace. Is, is there in 2023 a hug running our way? Well, that same vacation Bible school from a few years ago. Next day, I was teaching on another story, and I was telling uh, the kids this or that, and, and halfway through, I asked a kind of an offhanded question. I was just trying to make sure they're still paying attention. I said, hey, you know, have you ever known anyone who... Um, is not liked at your school or maybe in your neighborhood. Maybe they're different. Maybe they've been mean. They don't fit in. And I was looking for just kind of some hands to, okay, yep, I do, I do. I know what that's like. Instead, I got a couple of urgent hands. Like, call on me. <laughs> I've known somebody who was mean. And then this girl, she starts staring about a specific classmate in an instance where a classmate didn't share. And and, and you can just see the hurt on her face because children haven't learned to hide. The next one shares about this friend who then was really mean because the friend called her a name. And, and then more hands went up. And, and I'd been standing to tell my story because there was movement in the story and all the rest. And I realized at this point I needed, I was just going to need to sit and listen. One after another, they... they they wanted a chance to share about their hurt, their pain, a, a meanness that had happened, just wearing their soul on their sleeves. And I realized, though they would not have put it this way, what they were looking for in that moment was another hug. This time from me. Implicitly, each of their stories asks, will you listen to our stories in a way that offers an embrace of love amid this pain? Will grace run to us and hold us in this too? Will you hold a space of grace uh, like the heavens opened unto Jesus? Or will this pain find no grace and become a festering wound or a layer of callousness. How many of the pains and ills of this world are known because of a vacuum of grace? Theologian Dale Bruner says this about Jesus' baptism. I consider this Jesus' first miracle, the miracle of humility. Jesus humbles himself to the reality of humanity and joins us in water submersion and in humility knows grace. 
That's the promise the children themselves with me, they intuited. That humility is so often the primary conduit of a fresh embrace of grace. Which is to say, if we, the body of Christ on earth, stepping into this new year, if we, the soon-to-be ordained and installed officers of this church, if we, the church, are, are, are to know a fresh embrace of God's grace, grounding us and fueling us for all that God has, we must humble ourselves and become like children. Do we, before God and one another, do we risk a wear-your-soul-on-the-sleeves vulnerability about our failings, our hurts, our dreams, our misgivings? Do we, before God and, and one another, risk letting go of our masks or pretense, the gossip or finger-pointing that keeps things out there, risk letting go of our certain plans, our certain convictions? Do we risk offering a fresh humbleness? And if another offers their heart to us today or this season, if another opens up with, with some vulnerability or, 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 or raw pain or honesty, do we risk dropping our judgments, our immediate corrections, our told you so, and hold space to honor the ache? The church that freely admits the ways in which they're uncertain and sometimes fearful, the ways in which they're sometimes pained and searching, the ways in which they feel like children in a profound need of a love and a power and direction born not of themselves. That church is, is discovering just how fully they're already held in the embrace of God. That church is discovering, even amidst all that, that has been said and not said, done and not said, that church is discovering that by the grace of God, this is the truest word about them. This is my people, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Thanks be to God for the abundant grace of God. Amen.